0: Well, over the past several weeks, we've been thinking about, we've been learning about, we've been processing a topic that's very important. We've been talking about peace, and we've, we've come a long way. We've defined peace, what biblical peace is, and we looked at the 23rd Psalm, and we just took a deep breath and absorbed the reality that peace is walking with God on this planet and experiencing the nearness of God. And a couple other things that we've done about peace as we've uh, been through this series, we've talked about the fact that peace with God is first and foremost the most important thing that we could focus on as we think about peace, as we long for peace, as we dialogue and talk about peace. We talked about peace with God is important. In fact, we have to have peace with God before we can have the peace of God. And we've discussed the peace of God as well, and what does it do in our life? It guards our hearts and our minds, and it, and, and, it, and it provides this umpire-like function over our hearts where peace is watching and determining and directing. We've talked a lot about what peace does inside of us, but today we're going to pivot a little bit, and we're going to discover this thought, that because followers of Jesus have internal peace, we then can turn and passionately pursue peace with others. That's what we're talking about today. And to achieve that and to talk through that summary statement, we're going to be doing a couple of things. We're going to be looking at something that Jesus said. We're going to be looking at a couple of things that the Apostle Paul said. We're going to be looking at something that Peter said, another one of the Apostles. And so we're going to be looking at a couple of different passages that talk about the importance not only of the peace of God being inside of me, but the peace of God marking and shaping my relationship with others as well. That's what we're gonna be looking at today. Before we do that, let me tell you about one of my most favorite pastimes, one of my favorite hobbies, which is eating. I wanna begin this conversation today by sharing with you a thought about cooking. So let's say that I have a box of cake mix and I wanna make a cake. And so I take the cake mix and I pour it out on the table and I've got all the ingredients that I'm supposed to have and, and all of a sudden I come to the place where it talks about, I need to put some eggs in this batter. If I'm going to make this cake the way the box says to make it, I need to put eggs in the recipe. So what do I do? I go to the refrigerator. I open the refrigerator and I take the eggs out. I crack them. I put them in the recipe. But what happens if I go to the refrigerator, I open the refrigerator and I go to reach in for the eggs and there are no eggs? Well, That means I can't put them in the recipe. And peace is a lot like that. You know, we've been talking about making sure that there are eggs in the refrigerator over the past several weeks, making sure that there's peace on the inside of me and that I understand what peace is and I understand how to have internal peace and I understand what peace does on the inside of me. But now it's time to reach in and take it out and put it in the recipe. That's what we're looking at today. Now, Jesus says something really important about being a peacemaker. Matthew chapter 5, Now we're going to be looking at a couple of different passages today, so it may be that you're writing notes, or it may be that you're flipping in your Bible back and forth, but if you're opening your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 5, because Jesus says something earth-shaking about the importance of peace In the life of the believer. This is Matthew chapter 5 verse 9. Uh, If you grew up in the church you will know this as the Sermon on the Mount. One of the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he said in his opening to the Sermon on the Mount that we often call the Beatitudes. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. I want for us to unpack this just for a moment to appreciate what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that there's something to be said about the people who take the time and the energy and the effort and the focus to actually go about making peace in their life and the lives of the people around them. He says, those are the blessed people. It's interesting to me that he didn't say, blessed are the people who wish for peace. Blessed are the people who think about peace. Blessed are the people who talk about peace. Blessed are the people who complain about peace. No, Jesus says, blessed are the peace." makers not the peace thinkers not the peace talkers not the peace wishers he says blessed are the peacemakers so i'm going to i'm going to tell you something about me i i want to be blessed I want to live the blessed life that God has for me. And one of the things that I need to be committed to is I need to be committed to being a peacemaker. And I can do that. I know I have confidence that I can do that because I have peace on the inside. When I reach into the refrigerator to take out the ingredients and to put it in the recipe between my relationship and others, it's there because God has put it there. I have internal peace, so I am positioned to passionately pursue peace with other people. Jesus makes this point. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Jesus isn't the only one that talks about the importance of living at peace with others or making peace with others. Paul says a couple of things about it, and although we're looking at what Jesus said and Paul said and Peter said, you can imagine we're not even going to get close to all of the things that the Word of God says about making peace today, but we are going to look at these three individuals and what they said about it. So if you're making notes, would you write down Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through I'm going to read that scripture to you. And then also from Paul, we're going to look at a passage in Romans. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 through 6 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Listen to this. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That was a mouthful, but let me just remind you right in the middle of that section, let me remind you what Paul said about peace. He says, you are to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now again, we can do that because God has put peace in us. It's guarding our heart. It's ruling our heart. We have access to the peace of God because we have peace with God. So then therefore, if that's the case, we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word eager is interesting. It actually means to be quick with a strong effort. To be quick with... so, So we are to quickly and with diligent effort, with strong effort, we are to seek to maintain the unity, the body of Christ... In the bond of peace, again, we're to be active, right? We're not to talk about peace. We're not to talk about unity only. It says we are to be eager to maintain it, to achieve it, and to protect it. We are to be quick and strong-efforted in this process. You see, we can do that because followers of Jesus have the blessing of internal peace with God, we are positioned perfectly to passionately pursue peace with other people. Ephesians chapter four, verse one through six. Romans chapter four, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 14, verse 19 says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace peace and for mutual upbuilding. So then, this is out of Romans chapter 14, specifically if you're making notes, it's verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Again, that word is interesting. Just a second ago, we were focusing on the word eager the word pursue here is interesting because it, it, it means to aggressively chase. Have you ever aggressively chased anything? What's the last thing that you aggressively chased? Can you remember what that might be? Uh, think about a hunter. Think about a hunter who wakes up early and puts all the gear on and whatever it is that they're going to go hunting for, they're, they're thinking about it, they're focused on it, they're fixated on it. They have a little breakfast that morning and they're talking with their friends about what they're going to do to capture that game when they go hunting. And then from the moment they step out of wherever it was that they were sleeping, maybe a camp or a tent or wherever, from the moment that their foot steps they are aggressively chasing after the thing that they're hunting. Paul says that is how we are to pursue what leads to peace. When you step out, you are focused on living at peace in the body of Christ. I love to watch the Olympics. One of the things that I love to watch is the racing, you know, the foot races, because I just think to myself, I'll never run that fast. But these people run these long distances. And for those of you who run long distances, you can appreciate this. They're running their long distance. And when they get to the place where they're almost done and they can see the finish line, They pick it up, don't they? And if they were, you know, they were just giving it this, when they finally see that finish line, oh, they just give it everything that they've got. And they're running, and they're sprinting, and they're exhausted. They've been doing all of this running, and they've got to this point, and they can see the finish line, and they just go for it. just go for it. They are pursuing the finish line. They are aggressively chasing the finish line. So whether the running metaphor connects with you or the hunting metaphor connects with you, Romans tells us that we are to aggressively pursue the things that make for peace in the body of Christ. And we can do that because we have peace. We have peace with God. We have peace inside of us guarding our hearts and our minds and ruling our hearts. And so then we're positioned then to go from internal to external and begin to pursue peace with other people. So we know what Jesus says about it. He says, we know at least one thing that Jesus says about it. He says some other things as well. We know what Paul says about it. 1 Peter, we're going to hear what Peter talks about and says about peace. And so if you're making notes, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, is actually quoting from the Psalms. And if you're writing notes, write down Psalm 34. This is where Peter's quoting from. And he says, for whoever desires to love life and to see good days. I don't know about you, but that's me. I want to love life and to see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and let his lips not speak deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Whoever would want to love life and to see good days, keep from evil, keep from speaking evil, and seek and pursue peace. Let's make sure that as we think about peace, and as we've been through this entire series on the topic of peace that we don't misunderstand because peace is something internal and it's something that I have with God first and then the peace of God begins to transform my life and begins to do the work on the inside of me. But ultimately, it needs to manifest itself in my relationship with other people. That's why, that's the point that we're making today is is as followers of Jesus and we enjoy this peace with God, we are positioned then, because we have this peace, to passionately pursue it with others. Jesus talked about this. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Paul talks about this. He says that we need to be eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace. He says that we need to pursue it. He says that we need to aggressively run after peace with others. Peter talks about it. He's quoting the Old Testament. And he's saying that if you want to love life and see good days, then hold your tongue. Resist doing evil and pursue peace. Those are some important people to listen to this morning as we think about peace. Now, as you think about how to work this out in your everyday life, because I understand... You're listening to me, I'm in Matthew, I'm in Ephesians, I'm in Romans, I'm in 1 Peter, and you're listening to these verses come at you, and you're catching them with your brain, and you're catching them with your heart, and you're hearing what the Word of God is saying, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, how does that work out in my everyday life? Here at my house, how, does that, how, how can I be eager, how can I pursue, how can I be a peacemaker At my job, how do I do that? With my relatives, with my friends, with the brothers and sisters at the church. As you think about how that works out in your everyday life, I wanna share some thoughts with you that are important for you to understand as you consider how to work this out. The first one is this. Achieving and maintaining peace with other people is hard work It it is it is it is hard work I gave you the illustration as we began the message today about making a cake and you know I talked about the eggs and the fact that you can only put eggs in the recipe if you've got eggs in the refrigerator listen to me Achieving and maintaining peace with other people is infinitely more difficult than cooking a cake off the back of the box of the recipe. I want you to understand that right up front. I don't want to mince words. I don't want to make it sound easy. Living at peace with the people in your life can sometimes be tough. One of the reasons that that can be tough is because oftentimes when we experience a little conflict... Our focus isn't on how do I find peace in this? Our focus is on how do I win this fight? How do I win this conflict? How do I win this battle? How do I win this argument? How do I win this tense moment? And I just want you to understand that if you substitute the focus for peace for the focus of winning, it'll be a long time before you have peace. Some of us have broken relationships right now because we're not focused. We're not eager to achieve peace and we're not pursuing peace. We're pursuing winning the fight. And because of that, achieving and maintaining peace with other people can be difficult. Now, another reason that it can be hard work is because oftentimes we're tempted not to win, but to run. I don't think it's any surprise for any of us to acknowledge that we live in what I call a throwaway society. Everything's prepackaged. When you're done, you throw it in the trash. You eat off paper plates. When you're done, you throw it in the trash. You have a phone, it breaks. You throw it in the trash. You drive a car for a few years, you turn it back in. We just live in the society where we don't fix things anymore. We just throw them away. Now, I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. I'm just saying the reality is we live in what I call a throwaway society. And oftentimes, we treat our relationships this way. Where instead of being eager to either achieve or maintain unity and peace, when there's conflict, we just say, you know what? Never mind. I don't want to continue investing in this relationship anymore. I'll just run. I'll just end it. I'll just sever it. I'll just finish this relationship. I'm done with this relationship. Now, to be clear, there are some there's some conversations and there's some arguments that you have that you need to demonstrate your point. And so I'm not saying that you don't always make your point. Uh, and, And I'm not saying that there aren't toxic relationships that have to be ended. In fact, oftentimes, and I'm speaking right to you, teenagers, young people, listen, there are some times where your relationship you need to sever that relationship because it doesn't honor God. It it, it doesn't honor the Lord. It doesn't build you up. In fact, it just causes you to drift further away from God. So there are times when you need to win the argument and there are times where you need to sever the relationship. But by and large, and in general, these things move us from being eager to achieve and maintain peace. It's hard. These are the reasons that this is hard. Now, another thought that I wanted to share with you as you're thinking through how do I work this in to my everyday life, all right? So we've said, understand, first and foremost, achieving and maintaining peace with others is hard work. But another thing I want you to understand is achieving and maintaining peace with others demands that you value people and that you view them biblically. Think about that for a second. When's the last time we, you, I, sat down and asked ourselves, Do I view human beings from a biblical viewpoint? (laughs) It's probably been a long time since we've asked that question to ourselves, right? But the way that we think about human beings really shapes how much we value them. Listen, if you're going to achieve and maintain peace with other people, you have to value them. And you're going to have to be able, as a child of God, to view them biblically. You may be wondering, what does that mean exactly? Well, I want to share with you what that means. I want to share with you four lessons that God's Word teaches us about people. These are four things that really need to work into your heart because they're going to be things that will motivate you, that will help you, that will spur you on in those hard moments where you're thinking to yourself, man, it's really hard to achieve peace with this person. It's hard to maintain peace with this person. These lessons are the things that are gonna keep you going. The first lesson is this. People are image bearers of God. Now, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis and read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 if you're making notes, you'll see something magnificent about human beings. All of creation was made by the will and the intentionality and the creativity of God. God made everything that we see. He made the animals. He made the plant life. He made the stars. He made the oceans. But what is unique about human beings, is the scripture says that when God chose to make people, it doesn't say this about the other, other creation. God made people In his image. Let me read this to you. This is out of Genesis chapter one, verse 27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So as we think about how to think and view people biblically so that we have that value of people and we understand that it's worthwhile to do the hard work of achieving and maintaining peace with people, we have to remember that people are created in the image of God. Let's do a little exercise. Uh, You don't have to stand up. I don't mean jumping jacks and push-ups. But think think about this with me for a second. Think about right now, think about the person that you are most angry at right now. Now you may be thinking, I'm not angry at anybody. Okay, fine. Think about the last person that you were really angry at. Now, understand this. That person was made in the image of God. The point being, even the people that we're frustrated at, even the people that we're angry with, even the people that do us wrong or take advantage of us or put us in tough circumstances, even those sinful people are made in the image of God. Now, I'm not saying that what they've done is right. I'm not saying that what they've done has to be excused. I'm not saying that what they've done won't have consequences. I'm just making the point that if we are going to achieve and maintain peace with with other people we have to value them and one way to help us get there is to understand that these people that person is an image bearer of God now another lesson that the Word of God teaches us about people is that people were made to live in community with one another in other words in God's original design He designed people to live in community with one another. Now, this is clear uh, in the garden when God made Adam and Eve to live together. It's clear from the way that society is made up. You may be saying, well, I'm an Adam, but I don't have an Eve, or I'm an Eve and I don't have an Adam because I'm not married, and so I can't dwell together in community. No, not at all. You see, The communal need for people is throughout our experiences as human beings. And so whether or not that's through marriage or that's through society, you can even look at the law of God. If you go back and read in the Old Testament and you read the laws that God put in place, Most of the laws that God put in place, he put in place to make sure that his people relate well to one another because relationships and peace and unity is important to God. Think about the church. Why is it that when a person becomes a Christian, when a person becomes a reborn follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, They began to connect themselves to other believers because we're created to live in community with one another. That's why we have the church. That's why it hurts so bad right now for us to not be able to meet together because we were created to dwell and to live and to pray, to worship together. And so we can see that through the expression of the marital commitment, but we can also see that through the expression of the societal arrangement. People generally congregate towards one another. We can see that expressed in the way that the Lord set up the church. And we can even see that in the end times, in the last things. In fact, when you study the end times, Every time you look at what the end is going to look like, what eternity is going to look like, what heaven is going to look like, every place that you study that, you discover that it has one thing in common. There's a communal environment. It's not me and God, it's us and God. We are his people. We make up the kingdom of God. So even in eternity, we are designed to dwell in community. This is an important lesson that the Bible teaches us about people that helps us and spurs us on to value people enough to put in the hard work of achieving and maintaining unity that we are perfectly positioned to do because we have the peace of God on the inside. The third lesson that the Word of God teaches us, that the Bible teaches us about people, is that God uses people in our lives in eternal ways. So not only are we designed to dwell together, and not only are people made in God's image, but God specifically and intentionally uses the gifts and the talents and the abilities of other people to do work in my life. Now, if you're making notes, would you write down 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10? And that's an instruction to the church, and Peter's writing to the church, and he says to them, he says, listen, whatever gift you have received from God, Whatever spiritual gift you have, some of you have the gift of preaching, some of you have the gift of teaching, some of you have the gift of discernment, some of you have the gift of administration, some of you have the gift of mercy, some of you have the gift of service. Listen, listen, whatever gift you have, I want you to use it to serve other people and that when you do that, you are, uh, you are expressing the grace of God to those around you. Think about that. The, one of the reasons that I need to put in the hard work of achieving and maintaining peace with other people is because those people are a mechanism by which God works through them into my life. And if I sever that relationship, if I cut them off, if I write them out of my life, not only... Not only am I being aggressive towards them, I'm shortchanging myself because God uses that person to change my life. Each person is to use whatever gift they've received to serve others, thereby expressing the various graces of God. It's a beautiful thought because it reminds us that the fellowship Our faith family benefits from everybody bringing their gift. This church isn't just about Pastor Zach teaching a message on Sunday. And it isn't just about our worship leader and our worship team getting up and leading worship. It's about every single person bringing their spiritual gift to bear for the common good and blessing of everybody. Now, when we have that perspective and when we can see that... We can value making peace with others in a more substantial way. So it is hard, but if we're going to do the hard work, we must value people and we must think about them biblically. And some of the lessons that we've learned is that people are in the image of God. God designed us to live in community with people God uses the people around me in my life for eternal purposes. And then the last lesson that I want to share with you this morning is that we are actually one. You know, the Bible talks about the church not as a bunch of individuals, but as the one body of Christ now certainly you have individual characteristics and certainly your relationship to Jesus is your own unique and personal relationship to Jesus but when you say yes to Christ when you surrender your life to Jesus when he forgives your sin and becomes the Lord of your life you step into the kingdom of God and you along with the rest of us, make up what the Bible calls the body of Christ. And there's one body of Christ. That is his church. Let me share with you some scriptures that talk about this. Now, obviously, the scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 that we've looked at talks about that. And so if you're Happen to be turned there, then go and look back. But if you haven't, let let me just read this. It says that we're to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because there is one body and there's one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So the, the point that Paul is making in the book of Ephesians is that there's one body. Now, Paul makes this point again in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're making notes, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul says this, for just as the body is one, but it has different members, right? So I have one body. I have several fingers. I have several toes. I have a couple of ears. I've got a nose. I've got a mouth. I've got some eyes. I've got some skin, right? So there's a lot of different members of the body. But when you bring it together, it doesn't make up a bunch of bodies. It makes up one body. And that's the point that Paul is making. So just as there is a body and it has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So how does this help us value people and think biblically about people so that we're motivated and passionately seeking to have peace with other people? Well, here's how. Because when I, when I look at you, my brother or sister in Christ, what I have to be able to do conceptually is to understand that although you are an individual human being created magnificently by God, you and I come together to form the body of Christ. So I am motivated to live at peace with you just like a finger doesn't want the toe to suffer and the toe doesn't want the finger to suffer and the brain doesn't want there to be a heart condition and the heart doesn't want there to be a brain condition. It's the same thing. The body wants peace with itself. That's why we're motivated to have peace with one another because we are one. There's this incredible breakdown of the body called an autoimmune disease where the body actually isn't fighting a foreign agent in the sense that, you know, with a virus, the body is fighting an outside foreign agent trying to get rid of it. But in an autoimmune disease the body actually starts fighting itself. And the body mistakenly focuses on another area of the body and says, that is my enemy. I'm going to attack it. And so the body starts fighting the body. And it's actually got a name. It's called an autoimmune disease. And when there are two brothers and sisters in the Lord who are not at peace but they're at conflict with one another and they choose to just live in that conflict instead of working through that conflict, that's like the autoimmune disease. It's the body choosing to attack the body. It's a very interesting concept to think about to take a step back and to look at what the Bible says about the church. The church is more than a business. It's more than an organization. The church is a family. In fact, the church is one. It is the body of Christ. These are four lessons that the Word of God teaches us that will help us be prepared to do the hard work of achieving and maintaining peace. People are made in the image of God. We were designed by God to live in community with one another. God uses the people in my life to shape my life in eternal ways. And the fourth really important lesson is that when we really look at the church from a biblical viewpoint, we realize we're one. We are one body under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so before we close today, you may be hearing and absorbing this, and you may be thinking, these are interesting things to think about, but what do I do right now? What do I do right now to make next week different from last week? And to do better with my relationships next month than I did last month. And to not just be somebody who has the peace of God on the inside, but really labors and works and is eager and pursues peace in my relationship with others. I want to give you some practical essentials, just very quickly, practical essentials that are important for you as you try to take this from the Bible into your life and actually start living it out in your home, on your block, at your job, in the grocery store, with friends, with relatives, with acquaintances, with whatever. Here are some practical essentials that have to happen in order for you to really do this. The first one is this. You have to make a commitment to live at peace with other people. It can't be something that you just kind of try on. You know, you go to a, a, a retail store and you try on an outfit and you think to yourself, eh, I, I don't know, I kind of like the way this looks, I, or maybe I don't. I, you know, you can't, try this, you can't try this commitment on. This has to be something that you're absolutely committed to. Why? Because it's hard, because it takes commitment, because it takes hard work. You know, I was talking about people who run in the Olympics. Think about people who run a marathon. Nobody runs a marathon by just saying one day, you know, maybe I'll just try it out a little bit. No, you have to be committed to it. You have to be committed to the process. You have to be committed to seeing it through because you know that there's gonna be some pain along the way. You know that it's gonna be hard along the way. You know there are gonna be some points in that process of running that marathon where things are gonna be in front of you and your brain is saying, just give up. But no, you've made the commitment to run the marathon. It's the same way with living at peace with people. If it's going to work, if you're gonna be eager and pursue it and you're gonna be the peacemaker that Jesus calls for us to be, we have to make a commitment now to it. Next practical essential is that we have to start now. We have to start now. Maybe where you're sitting or standing right now, God is just at work in you, and you're thinking to yourself, this message is for me. I need to start making some peace with some people, and you're saying to yourself this. Here's what you're saying. I think next week, I'm gonna start taking some steps towards this. You've gotta stop that. You have got to stop that. You have to start now. What can you do in the next 30 minutes of this service being over, message over, prayer time over, blessing over, screen goes black. What can you do to start today? Start now building peace into your relationships. Practical essentials. You have to make a commitment. You have to start. Third practical essential, practice. You know, oftentimes we do something and we do it for just a minute, for just a season, and then we stop because we do something wrong. We feel embarrassed by it. We struggle because we made a mistake, a misstep. We mess something up and we get embarrassed. We get discouraged. We get frustrated because we didn't do it right. And then we stop. Listen, can I tell you this? If living at peace with other people is something that's foreign to you, I don't mean that you fight with everybody all the time. I just mean you don't know how to be a peacemaker in your life. You don't know how to eagerly and aggressively chase peace when there's conflict with you and somebody else. If you don't know how to do that, when you start, you're not going to be perfect at it. You're not going to do it perfectly. You're going to make some mistakes, but give yourself permission to make those mistakes and make the commitment that I will keep practicing. We've got to commit to it. We've got to start. We've got to practice. In fact, 1 Peter talks about practicing. It says, finally, all of you have unity of mind. Sympathy, practice having sympathy on people. Brotherly love, practice acts of love. A tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, but on the contrary, bless people. Just practice blessing people. Commit, start now, keep practicing. And maybe you're asking the question right now, what if I do everything I can? And I just don't know what to do next. Practical essential number four. Ask for help. Hopefully in your Christian life, there are people that you look up to. There are people that you would say, that person disciples me. That person is a mentor for me. That person is a spiritual leader for me. And as you are doing the hard work Of achieving and maintaining peace, not just in your vertical relationship, but in your relationship with other people. If you've made the commitment and you're doing it and you're practicing it and you're just stuck, go to someone and ask them for help. To your spiritual leader to your mentor, to the one who's discipling you and helping you learn more deeply what it means to follow the teachings of Jesus. Practical essentials for pursuing peace with other people is to be committed to it, to start now, to keep practicing, and don't be afraid, don't be embarrassed, and don't be ashamed to ask for help. I hope this morning, by looking at Jesus talking about it, looking at Paul talking about it, looking at Peter talking about it, looking at the Psalms talking about it, you understand that living at peace with people is a biblical theme throughout the entire Bible. And now you understand the steps that you have to take in order to achieve that. Right where you're at, would you bow with me? We're going to close our time together. But would you just bow whether your living room, your dining room, wherever you are, would you just bow for a moment and let me just pray over you. Father, as we close our time this morning, we thank you for the way that you've created us to live in community. We recognize that that is of extreme importance. And we also recognize, Lord, that you've created us with value. And it's important for us to see that in other people that while we may live in a throwaway generation, human beings are not to be thrown away. Relationships are not to be thrown away. And Lord, we do take a moment to confess that we don't get it right. As each one of us search our heart, there are numerous occasions that we confess to you where we didn't value someone, where we tried to win instead of achieve peace, where we tried to run instead of achieve peace, where we didn't see someone as an image bearer, where we didn't see someone as one that you would use to shape our life. Lord, we just confess to you that we've got it wrong a whole bunch of times, but we do renew our commitment. And just, Father, as we are hungry to have peace with you, oh God, how we desire to be at peace with one another. We desire to be peacemakers. We desire to be eager to maintain the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. Quick and strong effort, Lord. We desire, Lord, to pursue and to seek peace, to aggressively Chase after peace in our relationships. And we understand that we desperately need your intervention in our life and your power in our life and your lordship in our life to achieve that. And so all we can say this morning is your word has renewed our commitment to being a devoted, serious follower of Jesus, especially this morning as it relates to seeking peace with the people around us. We make that commitment to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.